0: Matthew uh, chapter 8. Uh, Jesus has just finished teaching uh, the most uh, famous sermon that has ever written. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It would be a hard one to follow, wouldn't it, following Jesus? Uh, but he's uh, healed a man with leprosy, and uh, great crowds are following him because of his teaching, because of this miracle. And uh, he's headed into his hometown of Capernaum. And uh, we pick up in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, as he's headed into uh, his hometown. I just want to encourage you uh, to turn with me to your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 8, if you brought one with you. And uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, or if yours is difficult to read, I want to invite you to stop by our welcome desk this morning. You can stop by and pick one up as uh, our free gift to you this morning. But to Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5, it says this. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came with him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished, and he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown out into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to this centurion, Go, and it will be done, just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed that very hour. Well, this morning, as we approach this passage and what God has for us, I'd like to invite you to uh, just pray with me as we uh, open our hearts up for what God has for us this morning. Uh, Father, I just want to thank you for the opportunity we have to come together to worship you this morning. And uh, very few times in Scripture, two or three times, I've seen where Jesus has been amazed. And, uh, God, I just pray that uh, as you look down on us this morning, that you would be amazed uh, by our faith and the things that you see in our lives. I know there are some um, right now here this morning that uh, are struggling with their faith, maybe going through a difficult time in their life. Uh, Maybe they have internal doubts. And, uh, God, I just pray this morning that your word would strengthen us, that it would encourage us, and it would heal us spiritually, emotionally. And, uh, God, no one is here by accident this morning. We know that uh, we are not here by coincidence, but we are here for what you have to say through us through your word. Let us not uh, just have ears to listen, but, God, may you cultivate uh, in us hearts that are willing to act. And uh, it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, I know that um, we're all aware that life is uh, full of unplanned surprises, right? Um, Not all of them are bad. Some of them are good, like birthday surprises, but, you know, not all of them are good. Uh, You know, interestingly enough, God didn't ask me or Pastor Dan, our overseer board, about his plans to move two overseers in the same month, right? (laughs) But we know that God is in control. And uh, God's plans, i found, are not always uh, my plans. Our plans are not always God's, and God's plans are not always ours. And sometimes when there's a conflict between those two, it's our faith that we can struggle with, our faith that can hold in the balance. I was talking to a uh, single mom last week, and she told me I could uh, share this story, but she had a cancer surgery scheduled for her 12-year-old. And uh, just before his surgery was scheduled, something happened with her 15-year-old incident that he had happened that required him to have surgery. And so she had to cancel surgery for the one in order to schedule a surgery for the second. And she uh, came in so that we could kind of pray and uh, I could kind of talk about what was going on. And as we were talking through this, you know, it was not her plan for either one of her kids to have surgery. But here we were talking about the events that, uh, had let up the week that she was dealing with and talking about everything that she had to take care of, and we were talking about her faith. You know, faith always comes up when circumstances aren't the way that we uh, think they should be, right? And uh, circumstances are sometimes uh, difficult for us, but um, have you ever thought about the fact that uh, when things are not going the way that we want them to, when our calendars are disrupted, when there's things going on in our life, that it might be an opportunity uh, that God wants to use us Uh, to either grow our faith personally or in the lives of somebody around us. In fact, I would go as far to say that no matter what we're going through, no matter what's going on in our lives, there is something specific that I think God wants to do in our lives for someone around us. You know, not long after I started Springbrook, I had this health problem. It was just a pain in my abdomen, and I had to go into the hospital. I was going to be in there for three days, and I was really struggling with you know, the pain and what God was doing in this. I had just started this new job and I had a uh, hundred things to do on my calendar. I mean, I had my whole week planned out and then this thing happened. And I, w- I was laying in the hospital bed, just really struggling with God. You know, why, why now? Why this? What? Three days. I mean, really? What an inconvenience. I mean, I had a whole calendar of stuff full. And I was processing through all this stuff in my mind. And, you know, the second day, my doctor came in to check on me while I was just laying there doing nothing. They <laughs> he recognized a patient Uh, in the bed next to me that they had brought in that morning and this guy was in a lot of pain and he was going in and out of consciousness and as the doctor walked by he recognized him he knew the guy as a former patient and he knew all about his health history and so anyway he stopped to talk to him and asked a couple of diagnostic questions and within minutes he stopped and he walked out and he came back in with the nurse and he said i'm taking responsibility for this patient away from the doctor on duty I want him moved immediately to the emergency room. I'm going to do an emergency surgery on him. I was thinking, wow, day day two, a lot of action in the Willard room. (laughs) Now, I don't understand all the medical stuff that was going on with him, but after the surgery, when they brought him back up to the room, uh, I found out that he had been in a life-threatening situation. And the doctor uh, had uh, come by to see me, recognized him, stopped to talk to him, and I found out that they probably would not have been able to diagnose and test the guy and find out what was really wrong with him and save his life if that doctor had not walked away. And so his wife uh, and my wife and I were all in the room together. It was the next day we were getting ready to leave. I'll never forget what his wife said to me. She said to me, I thank God that you were in this hospital. I thought, wow, okay. She said, if, if you had not been in the hospital, that doctor would not have walked by my husband's bed, would not have recognized him, would not have had this conversation. And I don't know that my husband would be alive. I thought, wow. I couldn't have planned that for anything. I mean, I thought my week was just been shot. And here I find out God had something amazing that he wanted to do in and through the situation that I had absolutely nothing to do with. And I believe that every single one of us have those type of opportunities that God sends us every day, if not hourly, then certainly weekly. And I know that there are events that are happening right now or will happen uh, next week or maybe even tomorrow that we'll see as an interruption and an inconvenience to our schedule if that's the perspective, I believe we're going to miss opportunities that God has for us. And so let us pray that we could see divine appointments the way that Jesus sees them, the way that Jesus sees them when he sees the centurion in Matthew chapter 8. Let's look again at verse um, 5 through 7 together. They're on an outline on the inside of your uh, program. It says this. When Jesus entered into Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in, in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. Wow, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if it worked that way all the time? I mean, you have, a want, you have a need, something's going on in your life, and you walk up and say, God, can you do this for me? He says, sure, no problem. You know, is that the way it works? No, it's not. Oklahoma City beat Dallas in the Western Conference basketball finals last week, 106 to 100. If both teams had prayed to God to win and one lost, did God hear the prayers of one and not answer the prayers of the other? You know, no. That's just the way it is. You know, Oklahoma's always going to beat Texas. That's just the way it is. (laughs) I'm from Oklahoma. It's funny if you're from Oklahoma or Texas. You know, thanks. (laughs) But this is how many people think about their prayer life. When they look around at their circumstances, this is how many people think. Wouldn't it be easy to look at a passage like this and ask, how come it doesn't work like that for me? How come I can't just bring my prayer request before God and and have him say, sure, not a problem? You know, Is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with my faith? You know, this passage is not about prayers. It's not about prayers being answered or not answered. If you want to know more about prayer or how to pray, then we need to look back at Matthew chapter 6. In fact, I'm convinced that we have Matthew chapter 6 before we get to Matthew chapter 8 in this passage. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, that's what prayer is. Prayer is a heartfelt ability that we have to come before our God in heaven, who knows what we need before we even ask it and give him his rightful place in our lives. It's an opportunity for us to understand that god provides for us on a daily basis it's really easy to get caught up thinking about retirement what's next week and you know this month's bills god provides for us on a daily basis and prayer is a reminder that god cares about us and will provide for us it's a reminder for us that we need to forgive others the way that we're forgiven it's a reminder that through god through our faith and through our strength that god's holy spirit can just prevent us from being tempted this is how we're to pray and then we ask god to increase our faith increase our faith to do those things that we know we should be doing anyway and to trust in Him with the results. There are some people that will tell you that your faith will specifically determine the outcome of your prayers or your circumstances in life, but it is not true. We can approach God through faith, but what happens next is what needs to happen based on God's will being accomplished. Jesus answers the prayer for this in training because of what God wants to accomplish. You know, Jesus prayed just before his crucifixion. Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, please take it. I really don't want to go to the cross. I really don't have to die on the cross. Please take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Prayers are heartfelt communion with our creator, with our God, with our heavenly father. And this passage is not about prayer being answered or not answered. It's about faith. It's about the faith of this centurion. You know, his faith allows him to approach Jesus. And as we'll see in the moment, it's going to allow him to be able to trust God with the results, whatever they might be. You see, faith enables us to move confidently beyond our circumstances. It's unchanging in spite of them. And this is what we see in the life of the centurion. You know, there's something interesting that's going on between the centurions and the Jews that you really don't see. But the reality is, is that Jews and centurions, they would not have cared about one another. They wouldn't have cared for one another at all. See, the Jews look at the Romans as foreign occupants and their land. This is, what are you doing here? They're, they're representing the, uh, the emperor. They're, they're foreign uh, occupants. And they're in an inconvenience for the Jews. And then the Romans look at these Jewish people as an unruly group who were unpredictable and very difficult to manage. And so there's tension between the two of them. And then in Capernaum, we see this is the center of Jesus' activities. It was the town he lived in. It was where he taught in the local synagogue. In fact, it was the home town of the apostles peter james andrew john and matthew the tax collector i mean this was a heavily populated jewish city with an army of soldiers occupying and representing the land the emperor in their land and i'm sure the centurion didn't want to be there any more than the jews wanted him or his troops there. And as jesus comes into town after hearing a leper in verse three we find the centurion a roman soldier who after living in the area for a while i'm sure would have known about what jesus had done and he comes in faith Bring over a request in. We see a high powered government Roman official, a soldier, a man's man, in front of a Jew asking for help, calling him Lord and caring deeply about someone other than himself, a servant. And you know what? I absolutely love centurions? They are rough, tugged men. They're men's men, with a with a tender heart towards God. Every story about a centurion that I found in the Bible has been a positive story about men of faith. Centurions often protected Paul or provided him with a military escort. We see that through the book of Acts. Cornelius was a centurion of the Italian regiment who, along with his family, all came to faith in Christ. It was a centurion who was standing by Jesus at the cross when he died, Matthew chapter 27, and said, Surely this was the Son of God. And here we see a centurion, in spite of his circumstances, in spite of the circumstances he finds himself in, comes in humility. A Roman officer approaching a Jewish messiah that he would call Lord and ask, please help me with my servant. You know, this Roman uh, centurion had life-transforming faith that enabled him to depend fully on Jesus in spite of his circumstances. See, life-transforming faith is faith that is rooted in dependence on Jesus Christ. There's a place for you to write that on your outline. Life-transforming faith is found in dependence on Jesus Christ. But you know what's interesting? You know, the centurion having faith is uh, not what astonished jesus he came to jesus in faith and he made a request but look what jesus says next the centurion replied lord i do not deserve to have you come under my roof just say the word and my servant will be healed i myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me i tell this one go he goes I tell this one come he comes i say to my servant, do this and he does it when jesus heard this he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I've seen no one in Israel with such great faith. Now that last part of that verse is really interesting. You can almost see Jesus, he hears the centurion, and then he turns to the crowd and he says, did you hear what that guy just said? I have seen no one in Israel that has faith like his. Jesus was astonished about what he just heard the centurion say. That must have been pretty interesting, right? The astonished God in the flesh? I mean, when was the last time you were astonished by something? I mean, something for real. You know, not like your kids uh, cleaning up the room without being asked. <laughs> or in my house, you know, putting your trash in the trash can and still leaving it on the countertop. <laughs> we're not talking about that petty kind of an astonishment. What we're talking about here is it's an astonishment that reflects uh, something that's almost completely beyond human comprehension. It'd be as if somebody walked up and gave you a million dollars kind of astonishment. It's like wow what exactly did this centurion do to get a wow from jesus christ he said this lord i do not deserve to have you come under my roof just say the word and my servant will be healed i'm a man under authority with soldiers under me i tell this one go he goes come he comes you know and when jesus hear this he was astonished the centurion having faith was not astonishing what was astonishing was was the fact that he really, truly understood who Jesus was, and Jesus was the object of his faith. You see, the centurion really trusted in Jesus Christ. He trusted in his words and his authority. And it's interesting to think about, because faith by itself is not that big a deal. Everyone has great faith in something. You know, former uh, civil engineer Harold Camping of Oakland, California, runs a radio show, Family Radio. Is anybody familiar with him? (laughs) Yeah. He said he studied the Bible for 70 years and he had great faith that the world was going to come to an end yesterday. That was great faith. Do you realize people were leaving their jobs? They were quitting school. They sold out their entire savings. They spent $3 million last year, or last week, to tell people that the world was going to come to an end. That is great faith, isn't it? Misplaced, but great. You know, a Boeing 747, are you ready for this? Boeing 747 has six million parts. Half of them are fasteners that keep the plane together, right? It weighs almost a million pounds. How many of you have flown in an airplane? (laughs) That's great faith, isn't it? That this plane's going to stay together, it's going to take off, it's going to fly in the air, and it's going to land without a problem. Six million parts and a million pounds flying up around in the air. I think that takes great faith to fly. I have Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. You know, they come to my door all the time. They're not Christians. They don't understand who Jesus is. But they have great faith to go door to door and confront and talk to people about what they believe. That is great faith. You see, everyone has faith in something. The centurion had faith that Jesus could heal his servant. He had faith and that enabled him to come to Jesus and make a request. But the important part of this was that he had a life-transforming faith that was found in actually trusting Jesus' word, trusting in him and his word and his authority. There's a place for you to write that down at the bottom of your outline. Life-transforming faith is found in trusting Jesus' word and his authority. And so why is the faith of this centurion so astonishing? What is it that we can learn about his faith that we can apply to our lives today? I want to look at three specific characteristics of faith. And these are on the back of your outline. First thing that we see is that the centurion understands his depravity. He understands his wickedness. He really understands that he is separated from God. And the Bible calls that sin. You know, this idea of depravity and wickedness can best be illustrated by a plate of brownies with a few drops of poison on them. This is not the analogy that I use with my kids. They told me I wasn't allowed to use that this morning. But, but you take some brownies, you put a few drops of poison on them. Not all the brownies are poison, but all the brownies have been poisoned. Well, in the same way, not all of human nature is sinful. There's some good things about us. Not all of human nature is sinful, but all of human nature is completely and totally affected by sin. Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no exception. You know, we might not be as, as unperfect as Hitler was, but we are all imperfect. And that imperfection separates us from God. We cannot have faith in Jesus Christ unless we completely understand our need for him, our need for forgiveness of sins. We've all messed up. We've all sinned. We're all sinners. See, sin is a condition. It's not just an event. And the centurion says, I don't deserve to have you come underneath my roof. Now, the centurion understands, and this time, the Jews couldn't associate with Gentiles. That's why everybody was walking around the Good Samaritan. I mean, if they came in contact with, a, with a, somebody that was non-Jewish, they'd be unclean. And so the centurion looks at Jesus and he says, Look, I understand there's something different about you that prevents you from being able to come into my presence. There's something about me that prevents you from being able to come into my presence, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. this is a, this is a leader of men. this is a man 's man. This is a Roman soldier that 's worked his way up to the ranks. and walks up to Jesus and says, with all humility, I am not worthy i 'm not worthy, Lord. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed and that leads us to the second characteristic of his faith. He understood his condition and he understood the power of Jesus. he recognizes the power. In Jesus's words, the centurion had been around and he saw what Jesus was doing. And He said, you know what? You don't even need to come to my house. I understand power. I understand authority. I tell them go. They go. I tell them to come. They come. I understand the authority you have. And just with your words, I know that's enough. In the book of John chapter one, starting in verse one, it says this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus is the Word. We cannot have faith in Jesus Christ unless we understand the object of our faith. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Word. Without the power of His Word working in our life, we cannot have faith. Romans ten seventeen says this. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. Where does faith come from? It comes from hearing the message. Where does the message come from? From hearing the Word of Christ. Life-transforming faith comes from being in the Word. The centurion knew there was power in the words of Jesus. He knew what the authority was. And that's the third truth. The centurion understood the authority of Jesus. He understood the authority that Jesus has, the authority that Jesus spoke with. He says, I'm a man under authority. I, I understand authority. I say, jump. They say, how high? I know you've got that kind of authority. What he says is, I understand your complete and total authority. And you know what's interesting about this is most of the people around Jesus were actually questioning him. They were saying things like, who does he think he is? Why does he speak like this? Who told him he could teach like this? Most of the people that were were all Jews were questioning Jesus' authority. But not the centurion. He comes walking up and says, hey, I get it. I understand you completely. You have it. I'm willing to put myself underneath it. The centurion understood the authority of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1 or first John chapter 2, it says this, We know we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Those are strong words. And they are an indicator that we cannot have faith in Christ. We cannot have a relationship with Christ unless we put ourselves, unless we understand and put ourselves under the authority of Jesus Christ. And how do you do that? You obey His commands. When Jesus says go, you go. When He says come, you come. You do this, and He says you do this, and then you do it. And so when Jesus looks at the centurion, and He hears these words, He hears this response, He is astonished because this guy gets it. And then you know He looks over at the disciples. He looks at all the disciples. He looks at the religious leaders. He looks at all these crowds gathered. And in essence, He says, How come you don't have faith Like this, I have seen no greater faith than anyone in all of Israel. And to be a disciple, I mean, you've got to figure the disciples were standing there, right? It's like, oh, sorry. (laughs) You know, he looks at these disciples and says, man, how come you don't have faith like this? What kind of faith do you have? How would you describe your faith? You know, do you understand your separation from God? Have you approached Jesus Christ with humility? Do you trust him? you trust in his word unconditionally? And have you placed every area of your life under his authority? This is life-transforming faith. This is the kind of faith that enables you to trust Jesus in spite of your circumstances, whether things are going the way that you think they should or not, in spite of how your prayers are answered or not. This past week, I had an opportunity to talk to Matt Friedman, one of our uh, overseers, about some of the events that are going on in his life, and where he and his family have been able to experience a life-transforming faith I've asked him if he could come out and kind of share a little bit of his story, so we appreciate that.
1: Thanks, Rich. Yeah, we had uh, coffee together this week, and he was uh, sharing with me what, what he would be sharing this weekend. And I said, hey, you know, I'd love the opportunity to, uh, you know, just give testimony to the, the journey of faith that Eric and I have been on uh, relative to our, our pending move. So um, Jeremiah 29.11, uh, many of us are familiar. Uh, the verse says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Erica and I know this to be true, uh, but it hasn't always seemed like it. Erica and I are on a significant faith journey right now, and uh, it didn't start at the beginning of April. It actually began many years ago. Um, As Kevin talked about uh, a little bit earlier, we'll be moving to suburban Cincinnati uh, on the Northern Kentucky side in the next several weeks. Uh, it's an incredible opportunity for erica to live near her parents and her siblings uh, whom we've lived away from for the last 13 years it's clear at this point that god is in this opportunity and it's an incredible boost to our faith uh, to see him work through it i really do believe that god answers all prayer he answers it according to his plans therefore sometimes the answer is yes sometimes no and sometimes wait you see Eric and I were married before we left the University of Illinois in Champaign. And upon graduating, I looked for jobs uh, both in Cincinnati and here in Chicagoland. Our desire was to go to Cincinnati so that uh, Erica could be near her family. God said no at that time and brought us home to the northwest suburbs. There was a great benefit he had for us here and I see now that it was Springbrook Community Church. I received a position at Siemens Healthcare uh, and was able to pursue my passion for healthcare in conjunction with my degree in mechanical engineering. This brought us to this church, uh, opened up an opportunity for Erica to pursue her master's degree in special education and be in close proximity to my family who's out in Hampshire. God had begun a prospering process. We began investing in the ministry here at Springbrook. Erica sang in the worship ministry. I served in the production team Uh, Erica sang in the worship ministry. I served in the production team, and we participated in and then led a small group. And our faith in the Lord grew tremendously under the leadership of Pastor Dan. Since then, we've had opportunities to pursue other locations for short stints, but God was continuing our preparation here. He had more for us in McHenry County. I began hosting with the team here at Springbrook, and while I had served in other ministries uh, before, I began to see that God truly had me um, in my area of giftedness, and I was also able to begin to exercise my gifts of leadership and administration. Mid 2007, we again pursued a move to Cincinnati. I was pretty far into the interview process with a company outside of Siemens and outside of healthcare, and things like looked like they were lining up. We picked up a, uh, picked out a house down there. Our townhouse in Cary had sold, and God was bringing it all together for us to go. So it seemed. However, it wasn't in God's prosperous plan, and today we thank Him for stopping it. The person who was going to hire me ended up quitting, and the whole thing crumbled. We were crushed, but God had more for us in Lake in the Hills and here at Springbrook. At that time, I was now leading the hosting ministry. Uh, we started back into small group with the McDuns um, after a few years of, you know, women's ministry and men's ministry independently, um, and God was continuing to prepare us for today through kevin's leadership i learned how to better study god's word and to understand grace at a whole new level all the while we continued to pray for an opportunity to move to cincinnati we were praying in this way but not really surrendering to god's prosperous plan for our lives a couple of months ago as some of erica's siblings were making plans to transition back to the cincinnati area we loved the idea of joining them but it seemed completely impossible we were overwhelmed with all the planning discussions and couldn't figure out a way to make it happen and decided once and for all, we needed to surrender, live in the moment and fully invest our all here in this community. It's no coincidence that upon taking the step of faith and surrender, God stepped in. Enter God's yes and his plan to prosper. At the beginning of April, after a bad day at work, I came upon a job opportunity within healthcare in Cincinnati. There were really only two positions with my company uh, that I would be of interest to me, and suddenly one was available. Long story short, the job disappeared. Uh, Then my boss helped me get an interview for the new position. I prepared my resume while on vacation. Two rounds of interviews, beat out seven other candidates. And on April 29th, I had a job offer. God's plans were being realized in his time. These almost 13 years were a period of wait from the Lord. We finally surrendered the issue to his will, and then, in a one-month period, God just cleared the path. Given the economy, selling a house that we purchased in 2007 was going to be an incredible financial setback for us. However, God came through again and provided a better relocation package, which will almost entirely remove that barrier. God is good. The Lord has used the last 12 years at Springbrook as a preparation period for right now. He has taught us to surrender our lives to His will. He has shown us how He answers prayer. He has shown us that we cannot outgive God. He has gifted us to take all that we've learned into a new chapter, a new church, and a fresh opportunity to experience God's grace. Our exact move date out of the area is still unknown, so we'll see you off and on into the summer. Thank you so very much for being a part of our spiritual journey. And I'll close to say that sometimes prayers are a 13-year excursion. However, persevere, have faith, and have faith in the plans that the Lord has for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, well, we are certainly going to uh, miss you, and I just want to thank you for the opportunity for you to share what God's doing in your life, uh, just to give him credit and uh, just allow him to continue working. So we're going to miss you guys. Thanks, so. God bless you. Well, it's my prayer this morning that each of us um, can live out life-transforming faith. Whether we're waiting for an hour or for 13 years, that God would live us out with, with a faith that would enable us to be able to wait on him in, in all things. That God would give us a faith that would enable us to depend on him, to fully trust him in his word. Now, this Harold uh, Camping of Oakland, California, that uh, thought the world was going to end yesterday, um, I would have expected more from a man that says he's studied the Bible for 70 years. And I don't know what he's been reading or how his brain pieced together all that information, but he was wrong. You know, Jesus himself did not know when he was going to return, only the Father in heaven. And when I hear someone talk like that, you know, like, I kind of have to wonder you know, if, if, if they really know who Jesus is. But I tell you something. Old Harold was right about something. He was right about one thing. Jesus is going to come back. We don't know when. Jesus himself doesn't know, but the Father knows, and the Bible is clear. He is going to come back, and when he does, it's not going to be to die on the cross for our sins again. It's not going to be for an opportunity to give us a second shot or into a relationship with him again. He came the first time to seek and save that which was lost. He's coming the next time to judge the living and the dead. And so this morning I want to ask you, are you ready? As I look around at our culture today, I see a lot of people that are dating Jesus. They think he's okay, they like hanging around him, but they're not willing to commit their lives fully to him. Every one of us this morning is in a relation in some kind of a relationship. We're either single or dating, or we're married. And the only two difference between those two, you know marital relationship status is whether we've stood before god and committed to someone in marriage and in the same way every one of us is in the same kind of a relationship with jesus christ you've either stood before god and committed your life to him or you have not and there is no middle ground and this morning if you're tired of trying to do things your own way if you're tired of dating jesus and you want to take your relationship to the next level if you want to experience life transforming faith then i want to encourage you today make a decision to make a commitment if you've never committed your life to jesus christ and you want to do that today make it your prayer just like the centurion that amazed jesus we each need to be able to come to god and say i am not worthy i believe that jesus is god i believe he has the final power and authority and that through his death on the cross i have forgiveness of sins and i am willing to place my life under his authority his care in his control. And this morning, if that's your prayer, I would love the opportunity to talk with you about your decision to do that. On the inside of your program, there's a welcome slip. And if you would, you can tear that off at some point and uh, put your name at the top. And I want to encourage you to circle the number one. But I want to share something with you this morning. And this, you got to know, comes from my heart. This is the most important decision that you will make in this life. It is more than important than where you work. It's more important than whether you should go to school or where to go to school. It's more important than getting married. It's more important than having kids. It's certainly more important than what to fix or where to go out to lunch. This is the most important decision that you will make in this life because it affects how you live this life and where you will spend eternity. And if you have already made this decision, the same is true for us. The most important decision we can make is what we're going to do with our relationship with Christ. I mean, listen to what Jesus says to those that are following him. Jesus is astonished about the faith of the centurions. He really knows me. He really gets it. And then he turns to his disciples and all those following him, and he turns to this crowd and he says, I say to you that many will come in faith from the east and the west. They will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to the centurion, go, and it will be done just as you had believed it was. And his servant was healed at that very hour. You see, you have to understand, Matthew is a Jew writing primarily to Jews. And he's been watching all this non-Jewish people like the Roman centurion come to faith in Christ. There are going to be people that are coming from the east to the west. You know, we're, we're in, right here in Capernaum. We're in the center of this Jewish city. But people are going to come from the east to the west. All these non-Jews are going to be coming to faith in Christ. They're going to get in. But you that are subject to the kingdom, you that think that because you are Jewish are automatically going to be there, are not going to be there. You know, if you think simply because you're Jewish that you're in right standing with God, you are wrong. If you think that just because of your knowledge you've got a right standing with God, you're wrong. If you are relying on your good works, you're wrong. If you are relying on anything other than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to have a right standing with god then you are a subject of the kingdom and you will be cast out and those are harsh words every time i read that i like, can't believe we got away with saying that those are harsh words but jesus speaks the truth clearly he doesn't want us to be confused about the issue now the jews would have heard this they would have heard him and they would have thought what there he goes again who's this guy I think he is I can't believe he keeps talking like this and saying these things. We've got to get rid of him. Jesus actually gets crucified because of his claims to deity, because he claims to be God. He spoke with authority. The Jews didn't like it, and they crucified him. And so whenever Jesus spoke like this, in order to prove that what he was saying was true, he usually used a miracle. You know, and so to prove what he's saying is true, the servant of the centurion is healed just as he requested. Now I'd love to think that Jesus healed the servant just because the centurion asked I would like to think that every time I come before God with my request, that God is just going to automatically answer that. But that is not how Jesus did miracles. Every miracle that I have studied was about Jesus and about him validating his authority and proving that he was who he said he was. And I'm convinced that the circumstances in our life, just like this of the centurion, are opportunities for us to glorify God with our lives and increase our faith in those around us. In fact, I think that's exactly why Paul wrote this in the uh, book of Romans in chapter 5. It's not on your outline, but it says this. We rejoice not only when things are good. We rejoice not only in the hope of the glory of God. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope will never disappoint because it is God that has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit in whom he has given us. Authentic faith understands the authenticity of Jesus. Life-transforming faith is authentic. It's real. It's life-transforming. That's at the bottom of your outline. Life-transforming faith is found in dependence in Jesus Christ. It's found in trusting his word and in his authority, and it is life-transforming. It's authentic faith that's really lived out. And this morning, I want to ask you, if you don't have faith like that, begin to pray to ask God to give it to you. Pray first that if you don't have a relationship with Christ, that God would just pour his spirit out in your life. And if you have a relationship with Christ, pray that God would reveal himself to you in a fresh new way so that you have the opportunity to see opportunities the way that Jesus saw this opportunity with the centurion. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward now and our worship team is going to come out. And while they're doing that, I want to ask you to take this opportunity to tear off your welcome slip on the inside of your program. And if you have never committed your life to Christ and you want to solidify that decision this morning, circle that number one. And if you've already committed your life to Christ and you want to experience more of this life-transforming faith, this faith like we see in the life of the centurion, and you want some help with that, circle the number two. It's my prayer for each of us this morning that we would experience life to the full, the kind of life that John promised in John chapter 10. It's my prayer that God would fill us with the power of his spirit and that and that we would make the most of every opportunity that God puts before us to astonish him. We're going to collect our tithes and offerings now. and um, I really want to make sure that we have an opportunity to get those welcome slips for you. And if we can pray for you, if you made a decision for Christ this morning, if you want to experience more of this life-transforming faith, or if you've got something that we can pray for you about, our prayer team is going to be meeting in the prayer center. It's right down this hall uh, to the right. And would love the opportunity to pray with you this morning. And so you can make your way down there. But I'd just like to ask you now to pray with me that we would continue to seek God, that he would increase our faith and our dependence on him. Father, I just want to thank you uh, for the hope that we have in Christ. And God, I just thank you for the example of this centurion that we too can know how to have an experience life-transforming faith. God, may we be able to depend on you in all things, and we be able to put our trust in your word and in your power and in your authority. And may our faith be authentic. God, we come together this morning, we gather our tithes and offerings up to you, and we lift them up to you as a fragrant offering, as an example of worship and just as an expression of thanksgiving. God, I just thank you for all the ways you provide for us. We commit this day to you for your glory, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.